0: This text from 1 Samuel 16 is one of my favorites, and I was trying to trace back to when I first really uh, heard this text and first really studied it, And, and that little review took me back to my ordination exams in 2003. It was the winter time. I was a senior at Princeton Theological Seminary, and I, like many candidates uh, for ordination to the Ministry of Word and Sacrament, uh, were wrapping up these ordination exams. In the Presbyterian Church USA, uh, in order to be ordained, not only do you have to go through a process that's vetted by your home church and vetted by presbyteries, but you also have to take exams that are administered on a denominational level. There are five exams. Uh, governance, theology, worship, Bible content, and an exam called exegesis. And the exegesis was actually a take-home exam from the denominational office. They would, each time there was a sitting, uh, they would choose a New Testament text and a text from the Hebrew Bible. And the candidate, the one who's sitting for the exams, uh, was able to choose between those two texts. When I took it in the winter of 2003, uh, the Hebrew Bible text was 1 Samuel 16. And so when you get the text, you're supposed to go home and, and do the research, go to the library. Now these days you get on the internet and use all the online tools and you write a paper. And you need to demonstrate a proficiency in the original language and you have to demonstrate a competency that you know how to interpret the Bible. So 1 Samuel 16 was my text, and as I got into it and as I began to study and and read it, this paradox all all of a sudden hit me like a ton of bricks. There's a paradox that began to emerge as I was being engaged by this text and I was engaging it. Uh, Many of you are familiar with this story. It tells of the prophet Samuel, who's called by God to go to the house of Jesse, for there he would find the next king. Je- Samuel would be called to anoint the next king to follow uh, the current monarch Saul who had fallen out of favor with God. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem and, and one by one Jesse's sons are paraded in front of the prophet. And, and Samuel sees Eliab, the oldest, and he thinks to himself, well, this is the oldest, and we can infer this from the text. This is the oldest. Look at his stature. Look at his, his physique. He is king material. And Samuel says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But God makes it clear that the chosen one is not Eliab. Be careful when you think that you're the chosen one. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, a line comes, and it's really the, the the heart of the text. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have not chosen him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Mortals do not see as the Lord sees. They look on the outward appearance, and the Lord looks on the heart. The paradox of the moment, even as I was a 27-year-old uh, candidate for ministry, it wasn't lost on me in the whole milieu of this. You know, on one hand, there was no doubt that I felt a call to the pastorate. I was convinced since my early teen years that uh, that, that I was being called to some form of ministry. I knew that in my heart, and I knew that God knew my heart. I knew that that the Spirit was leading me in this particular way. And yet at the same time, here I was in a very competitive seminary environment. Here I was about to start the interview process where I would have to sell myself to churches to take a chance on a pastor coming right out of seminary. Not only that, I'd have to to promote myself in such a way that I would actually be competing against peers who I'd be graduating with who were going for the same jobs. And ultimately, I'd have to prove myself to the denomination by achieving a score that would be satisfactory for my process to continue. This paradox was one that I think I was first aware of maybe in a small way during that time as I was sitting for that ordination exam. But it's become one that I'm keenly aware of in my own life and perhaps you're aware of it in your own. Now I I wanted to say that I, I know why we have standards, right? General rule of thumb, do not go to a doctor who did not graduate medical school, right? I understand why we have standards. I I, I get why we have thresholds. I understand why there are ordination exams, or bar exams, or, or MCATs, and dissertations, and SATs, and GPAs, and bottom lines. I understand why we have those things. But there's a paradox for the person of faith, isn't there? that comes to us as we're living in this sort of milieu, right? There's the truth that God has created us. There's this truth that God loves us and does not measure our value by what we achieve or what we accomplish or what score we hit or what GPA we have or how we're measuring up against the bottom line. God doesn't measure my value. God doesn't measure your value based on the image we spend so much time crafting to present to ourselves and to present to the world. And yet from time to time we can become convinced, I know this is true in my own life, from time to time there are seasons that I become convinced that I must perform, that I must be perceived in a certain way if I'm ever going to be appreciated or valued, that I have to carefully create an image for myself and for the world if I'm going to be accepted. For those of you who are just t- tuning into this uh, sermon series, we're now in the third week. Uh, it's entitled, Human Desire, Divine Intention. And the whole series is rooted in one fundamental question. What does it mean to be a human being? I said a few weeks ago, if we are to begin to try to answer this question, we must remember, we must keep in front of us that human beings are created in the image of God. This fundamental truth roots the core of who we are. And to bear that image, I said a few weeks ago, to bear that image in part means uh, that God has endowed the human being with certain traits and qualities and characteristics that actually reflect in part, in a small part, they reflect who God is in the fullness of all eternity. That the human being reflects back to God, God's qualities and God's characteristics and we said that part of that endowment, what's really interesting to me in this series, is that endowment with the capacity to desire. We talked about that the human species, the human being, has certain desires unique to them. And there are core desires that, that we have that God has etched on our hearts and on our minds and on our guts. And these are pure desires. They're, they're noble desires. And we also confess as Christians, we say that, that God has endowed us with the capacity to desire what God wants to to desire what God desires, to want what God actually wants. By God's grace, this is possible for the human being to have our human desires align with God's intention. But as I said the last two weeks, sometimes these desires become disordered. Sometimes these noble desires become malformed. Sometimes these desires become distorted. And when our desires get out of whack, bad stuff happens. When our desires are disordered, bad stuff happens in our lives and in the life of the world. And so we we named it. We, We said we need an intervention. We need Christ to speak into our lives in a particular way to reform our desires, to reshape them so that we may recognize our full humanity and we may recognize the humanity of others. And so, as I said, our desires may align with God's intention. So last week we started with with the desire to be loved. We talked about this deep, noble desire that human beings have etched on their hearts, their minds, and their guts to be loved. And this week we're focusing on the desire to be valuable, the human desire to be valuable. If I were to put it another way, I'd say it like this, that human beings have an innate desire for a self-actualized dignity. That there's something in us that longs for dignity, that longs for value, and that dignity and that value, when tapped into in a pure way, actually produces good in the world. When you long for value, when you long for that dignity, What begins to happen in your life when it's at its very best, meeting God's grace, you bring value into the world. One of the things that Katie and I strive for as parents is to help Johnny and Luke know that God has given them so many gifts to bring value into the world. We want them, we want ourselves, we we want them to cultivate a life of benevolence. We want them to have healthy ambition, healthy ambition.
1: Please be seated. And let us join our hearts together in prayer. Loving God, we gather here together to worship you and we thank you by your mystery and grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that you meet each one of us right where we are this morning here gathered as the body of Christ. We desire, like we read in Philippians this morning, we want to know you, Christ. We press on to know you. And so we pray that here in this time of worship and in the week to come, you would lead us, God. Speak to our hearts. Bring us understanding. Give us the strength and the courage to lead to follow where you lead us. We desire to be loved and to love in the way of Jesus. We desire to be valuable and to use the gifts that you have given us to bring good into the world. And we know where we fall short. And so God, we thank you for your healing for your forgiveness, and for the ways that you make all things new in our lives. We also come to you in prayer, lifting up those who we love, those who we know are experiencing great pain and loss. And so here are silent prayers of intercession. We lift each one into your care, dear Lord Jesus. We pray in this week ahead that you would be our peace and that you would bring your peace in our homes, in our places of work, in our city, in our country, and around your world. And we join our voices together, praying the prayer that you taught us to pray and the glory forever. Amen. With grateful hearts, let us return to God a portion of what God has given to us.
0: we give you thanks for every gift you have called us to tend to. We ask, O Lord, that you take these gifts, the gifts that will be given online and throughout the coming days, to the places where they're most needed, so your good news may be known for all people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, our closing hymn is number 698. It's a new song. It comes from the Iona community. We sang it at the session meeting the other night. The soloists will sing it first through. The choir will sing it second time through. We'll all do it third and fourth time. And the soloists will close us with the fifth time through. Take, oh, take me as I am. life is hidden in Christ. It's not hidden in the image we create and craft and portray. Our life isn't hidden in our achievements or our accomplishments. Our life is is hidden in Christ, who brings us dignity and value, so we may bring dignity and value to the world. May we do just that in the power of His grace, And may his peace, a peace which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds, may it live inside of you this day and every day ahead. Amen.